Good morning. I hope that you are all doing well. And uh, I'm excited to see that uh, many of you were on there with Nick and Becca and Ian and Maddie. Thank you for singing so well. And for little Jack, yeah, I know you're going you're gonna to be singing too one day, and uh, that's exciting. And we're so glad that uh, each and every one of you are able to be a part of that. And so well, let me just start out by saying good morning. Good morning, Harvest family and friends. It's already been exciting to see uh, so many friends from, a unit, from around the United States joining in and uh, really just, um, you know, being a part of... Uh, Everything that has taken place here at Harvest Bible, I saw friends from Michigan, friends from Mississippi, friends from Indiana, uh, and then of course here around the state of New York, and that's always exciting to see everybody that's here, and uh, so I'm excited just that we can be together even though we're not together physically, and so uh, I just hope you're doing well. You know that uh, I just want to let you know you are dearly loved and missed and uh, so anyway, I want to encourage you to keep connected to each other. And uh, this has been a unique time that we're living in, as I say each and every week. I'm not so much afraid of the coronavirus as much as I am just annoyed by it. I want to see everybody. I want to talk with people. And uh, we've been doing that more now than ever, probably through Facebook, uh, through Skype and Facebook Messenger and uh, Zoom, as Becca mentioned, all these different ways that we're talking to each other and communicating with each other. And let me just encourage you to keep doing that. If there's somebody that you have not seen for a while, you know, check in on them. Make sure they're okay. Uh, I know this last week there was a, one of my friends that I hadn't heard of for a while. I sent a couple text messages I hadn't heard back. And, uh, you know, I left a voicemail I didn't hear back. I thought, man, I hope he's okay. And finally, I just had to get in my truck and drive over to his house make sure he was there. And he was there. He's fine. He's good. And uh, I just had to make sure he's okay because God just kept bringing him to my mind and so forth. But, you know, if God brings somebody to your mind, check on them, pray for them, and uh, make sure they're doing okay. But uh, And then another question that people keep asking, are we going to be able to meet on May 17th? I have no earthly idea. Uh, you know, they're saying they're going to kind of at least open up some parts of the state, maybe around the middle of May. I don't know what that is going to look like. I don't know if we're going to be able to meet here at church or not. But we'll keep you posted as we hear, as we draw closer to that time frame. So uh, those of you that asked about May 17th, Sunday, I'm not sure. We'll see how it goes. And uh, we'll let you know as we draw closer. Uh, let me just say that God has been good this week. And he's good every week. We all know that. But it's really a blessing to see when God just answers specific prayer. And uh, so, David, I'm going to uh, highlight you just for a moment, my son David. What a blessing it is to be able to know that God is in control of all these things. You know, David, a year and a half ago, had ACL surgery. And, um, you know, honestly, the surgery didn't take real well. And uh, his knee remained loose after that. In other words, it was buckling. It was given out. The surgery really didn't do that great of a job in helping his knee uh, improve and heal. And uh, so as he got done with the Universal Tech and graduated from there, came home, we were supposed to have another ACL surgery on April 7th. And uh, we have a very good doctor that was going to do the surgery, but because of all the coronavirus, everything got canceled, it got put on hold. And then I get a phone call, and I've been calling them every other week to say, hey, are you scheduling yet? Are you scheduling yet? And just trying to get ahead of the curve and trying to get ahead of, you know, 100 other people that also need a ACL surgery repair and so forth. 
And, uh, and what I was able to find out is that they're not scheduling until the end of May, possibly the end of June. Well, then uh, this week, I got a phone call from the surgery center saying, hey, your doctor has been named uh, the head of surgery at this surgery center, and uh, he's not going to be doing any surgeries until at least the end of July, maybe even into the end of August. And uh, I'm like, oh, what a bummer. And that there's probably 50 to 70 people ahead of him. And so look, it may look till the fall before he gets his ACL surgery. And it's not been good. It's, uh, his knee is not real good, and uh, he manages, but it's a lot of pain and a lot of giving out and buckling and so forth. And then this lady says, but we have another doctor who is willing to do it. And I'm like, okay, great. Well, as long as he does the same procedure that the other guy is going to do, we're all good with that. And I said, that'd be fine. And five minutes later, I get a phone call from that doctor. This doctor is head of surgery for the United States Olympic ski team. Uh, David's doctor brought in his colleague from Vail, Colorado to help out with the backlog of surgeries. This guy, 95% of what he does is professional athletes. And so David is going to get not only his surgery done by a guy who just works primarily with professional athletes, but also in the next two to three weeks, it looks like. So what a blessing that is. God works in such incredible ways. Uh, so we're not only going to have to not wait till this fall, we're going to, Lord willing, hopefully have the surgery in the next two to three weeks. So what a blessing. God is so good uh, in meeting the needs and, and doing things for, for his children. I'm so excited. David, you have to know God is in control of all this. And then on a little bit of a humorous note, with all these doctor's offices closed and only the uh, you know most unique situations being able to be seen and so forth, we know that a lot of doctor's appointments have basically gone onto the Zoom platform. There's something really unique about doing a doctor's appointment through Zoom. I don't know if you've had to experience this yet, but I've done it twice now. And here's what's interesting about it is that I'm thinking, you know, okay, I use Zoom all the time. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, long before the coronavirus started, you know, we have Zoom meetings and leadership meetings through Zoom uh, with other organizations and so forth. So I'm, I'm really adept to using Zoom on a regular basis. So I'm thinking this doctor's office is calling me and they're saying, hey, are you familiar with Zoom? Yeah, I'm familiar. It's all downloaded. I'm ready to go. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to get my iPad out here and, uh, you know, I'm going to do my Zoom doctor's appointment. Well, I've had this pain in my foot. And it's just irritating. It's been going on for five or six weeks, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to get a, a doctor's appointment, and that, you know, they sent me for an X-ray, and then she wants to call me up, call me back with the results of that, and so forth. But have you ever tried to put a big iPad down at your foot and get that camera, that that little tiny dot on the top of your iPad, focus on the center of your foot that hurts? I'm telling you, if I would have had a camera watching me try to get that little camera on my foot. I would have turned it into World's Funniest Home Videos. You think there isn't a sense of humor in all this? <laughs> I'm sitting there trying to get this iPad down on my foot, and, I, and I can't, I'm sitting there trying to watch the screen and get it on the right section of my foot at the same time. I'm thinking, what is going on here? This is crazy. Oh, my goodness. I'm just ready for this junk to be over with. It's annoying more than anything. But you know what? God is in control of all this. I'm so thankful to be alive. I'm thankful that God is still on the throne. I'm thankful that I still have the hope of heaven. And I'm still thankful that I can have joy in my heart despite all the, the frustrations and so forth. 
God is so good, and we, we cannot lose sight of that. That God is always in control. He always knows what he's doing. And he's just, he's in control, in control of all these things. So, uh, I'm excited to know that. But at any rate, we're, we're gonna have a word of prayer in just a moment, but, uh, let me just encourage you to, as Becca said, hit the like button, hit the share button. Let's get as many people, as many people in our church family online as possible. And, uh, let's look at this exciting message that God has for us in store today. And we're really talking about the Word of God, equipping the believer and the importance of the Word of God and, and how we're to learn it and grow it and grow by it. We're to, we're to apply it to our hearts and our lives. And it's exciting. So let, let's get as many people online as we can to hear what God has laid on our heart for today. And, uh, but first let's start with a word of prayer if we can this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for the hope of heaven. Thank you that, uh, Lord, you are in control, that you are in charge of all these things that are happening in our lives. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that you make no mistakes. We thank you for the hope of heaven that we have through Jesus Christ. We, we thank you for the fact that one day all this stuff is going to end. And Lord, we'll spend eternity with you in heaven. Lord, we just want to lift up uh, Lord, your church, and Lord, we just pray that your blessing would be upon them. Lord, thank you for each one that's able to join in today. Lord, I just pray that, Lord, that you'd be with them, encourage them. May they sense your presence, uh, 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 you know, in their lives, Lord, as they're, uh, Lord, as they're opening the word today. But Lord, we know that all around the world, the word of God in some countries is, has already begun to be preached and taught and and uh, read. And Lord, I just pray that uh, even in the hours past, the hours present, and the hours yet to come, that wherever the Word of God is being presented this day, Lord, might you add your blessing to it. Ask God that you would just work through it, that you would show yourself strong through it. And Lord, that you would teach us and remind us of those things that we need to know and understand so that we can draw closer to you, Lord. Lord, I know that there are many that are hurting today, they're struggling, Lord, either physically or financially or emotionally, Lord. Lord, we know that these days have taken a toll in many different ways on many different people. But Lord, we know that you are greater. We know that you are stronger. We know that you are able to sustain, to uphold, to encourage, to strengthen all those who call on your name. And so God, we ask that you would do that this day, that you would show yourself strong. And God, that you would be glorified through all that is said and done. And we ask these things in your precious holy name, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Well, as we said this morning, the title of the message is The Word of God Equipping the Believer. And uh, we're going to take my take our Bibles. And if you have your Bibles, and I, I, I trust that you do, if you would turn it to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we're going to start off today. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. And if you would, follow along as I read that this morning. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. And I uh, just encourage you to follow along with me as best as you're able. And uh, let's see what God's Word has to say to us this day. So, it says, verse 10, But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance along with persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil people and impostors will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed." 
You know those who taught you. And you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You know, J. Vernon McGee, and uh, you know, when I was a kid, I used to listen to him in, in junior high and, and into high school, and he had such a unique voice. And uh, he just had an idea, a way of speaking that made you want to listen to him. But I remember reading, uh, reading much of his books, and I have several of his books, but he titled this text of Scripture, Authority of Scripture in the Last Days. I believe he came to this title because this text highlights the importance of Scripture, but it also highlights what is needed in these last days, as we spoke of a couple weeks ago in verses 1 through 5. And if you remember, it says, but know this, hard times will come in the last days. And what more can we rely on? What more do we need than the Scriptures in the day and age in which we are living? And so we... Know that it says in verse 2, it says, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. For among them are those who worm their way into households and deceive gullible women, overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. And so we look at all these things and these characteristics of, and actually we know that Paul was talking to Timothy regarding the church and these people who would be worming their way in and so forth. And uh, what more can we possibly rely on? What's going to give us the strength and the wisdom that we need in these last days than the Word of God? So notice what Paul reminded Timothy of in verse uh, 10. It says, but you have followed my teaching. And this is a, a really an incredible com- commendation to, that Paul gave to Timothy. You know, uh, can you imagine being Timothy and hearing these words, Timothy, you have followed. There's probably no greater joy than that can be heard from any parent or any mentor or any coach or anybody than, than to know that who they are investing in, who that they, who they are equipping, who they are teaching are actually following what is being taught. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times in my life in, in 26 years of ministry, how you invest in somebody and, and every once in a while you have someone just say totally disregard anything that you've said and they do the exact opposite of what you've encouraged them to do. Timothy was being commended because Paul looked right at him. And he says, You have followed. What a blessing it would be for Timothy to hear those words. You have followed. But what does this word follow really mean? You know, if we look at it from a biblical context, it really means this. And there's several ideas that are wrapped up in this idea of truly being a follower of someone. First of all, it means that they're present. It has the idea of being present. You know, when you're teaching somebody, in order for them to learn, they have to be present. They have to be there. And and really what Paul was saying to Timothy, he says, you've been present. As I've invested, as I've coached, as I've mentored, as I've discipled, you were present. 
Man, what a blessing. And, and not only that, but not only be present, but then it means to come alongside. Is the idea that you've not only been present, but you've been right there beside me. You've, you've been a first-hand observer. Uh, you've experienced alongside me some of the things that I've been trying to teach you. It has the idea of applying the mind. So it wasn't just an idea that, well, he's sitting back and listening and, uh, you know, whatever happened, happened. No, he's the idea that he's intent on what Paul has been saying here. You say, is all that in this word follow? It really is. And that's what makes us, your word just so, you know, just jump off the page is that Paul has invested and Timothy has grasped everything that Paul has been giving him. So he's applied the mind. And then it means to examine or investigate. It has the idea here that, that Timothy didn't just listen. He applied his mind and he began to examine and investigate. And then as a result of being present, result of coming alongside, the result of applying the mind, the result of examining and investigating everything that Paul was teaching him is that he was able to conform to the image, not of Paul, but of Christ. And remember what Paul said, because Paul was never about making his own disciples unto himself. Paul wasn't about, hey, look at me, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm an apostle, be like me. The idea that Paul had was one of humility. And that's why he said in Galatians 2.20, For I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. So Paul was really saying, hey, as we follow Christ, we're, I don't want you to see me, I want you to see a picture of Christ. And that's what, as he was looking at Timothy, he's looking at Timothy and saying, you have followed. What a commendation. And let me just say this, there are a lot of people who follow a lot of people. But this is not the idea of uh, following somebody on Facebook because you admire them or they have a unique personality or they're humorous or they're, uh, you know, unique. This is not like following somebody on Facebook or following somebody on Twitter or following somebody on Instagram. This has an element of commitment. Why? Because Paul's life was different. He followed Jesus Christ and he wanted Paul, I mean, he wanted Timothy as he was investing in him to, to be like him in the sense that they were following Christ together. But he, not only that, he says, you have followed, and then he gives them several areas that he is faithful in following. Number one, he says, you've followed my teaching. Let's look at verse 10 once again. But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance. So all these areas that Paul was able to look at Timothy and say, you have followed. Let's look at these areas that he was faithful in following. So first of all, he said, my teaching. In other words, he was faithful to following the, the doctrine, uh, the instruction from God's word. You know, there's a lot of things that one can learn. You know, you can go to uh, school and you can learn a thousand different uh, areas that can be applied to your life. I mean, you can learn, you know, about sewing. You can learn about business. You can learn about banking. You can learn about sales. You can learn about psychology and psychiatry and counseling. And you can learn a million different things. But what Timothy was faithful in learning from the Apostle Paul was his doctrine, his sound doctrine. And then not only that, his conduct. So what, 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 what does conduct have to do with? Well, it has everything to do with the way of life, how you live life. In other words, when you get up in the morning, how you conduct your life, how you act and react to circumstances 
you know, not only within our control, but especially those out of our control. How do you respond to these things that happen in life? My conduct, my way of living, my manner of living, how I relate with people and how I respond to circumstances. He says, you have followed and you have not only followed my teaching, but you followed my conduct. You're beginning to respond things in a, to things in a biblical manner, in a way that it would be pleasing to God. But not only that, he says, in my purpose. And purpose is a unique thing here. Purpose has the idea of being what is set before us. Things that are important. Things that are, uh, that, that govern the way we live and what we, uh, what we do in our life. Uh, it's what's set before me. It's what I'm going towards. It's what I'm living for. So purpose really has the idea of what's set before or what's in my front view. Where is it that I am heading? That's an important question that all of us have to answer. You know, Paul looked at Timothy and says, you have followed my purpose. You know, those of us that are parents, what is the purpose that is set before us that we want our kids to have in their front view? What is set before us as employees that we want our coworkers to see, that we want our products to reflect? As leaders in, in our organizations and in our sphere of influence, what is set before us? Can people see what is set before us and what really motivates us and drives us and what we are really living for? This is Paul's purpose. And he said to Timothy, you have followed that. But he doesn't stop there. He says, you followed my faith. And this is the conviction of truth. The relationship that I have with God, my trust in God and in His Son Jesus Christ. He says, Timothy, you have followed that. And in order for Timothy to be, to have been able to follow that, that means Paul had to live it out. And if those around us are going to see that in our life, we have to live it out, right? We can't just say, well, I believe and then do, then not, not follow it ourselves. You know, we have to have that, you know, in our lives, not just do as I say, but do as I do. See, Actions speak louder than words. You know, if I can say one thing, but my life doesn't follow it, then it's empty. It's not there. It's not real. And Paul was able to live it out in such a way that Timothy was able to follow. But he goes on further to his patience. And this has the idea that, you know, all of us would kind of jokingly say at times, Boy, I don't have patience. Patience is not my forte. And I'm just telling you, it's not my forte. But I don't know that this idea of patience here is exactly as you and I kind of think from day to day. This is a different twist of the word patience. Patience here has the idea of amidst struggle, you remain calm. I don't know anyone in Scripture apart from Jesus Christ that went through some struggle more than Paul. Can you imagine just for a moment, and we'll talk about this in a moment, but can you imagine just for a moment being stoned, being left for dead, being shipwrecked, and a host of other struggles that Paul went through? And to be able to say that amidst the struggle, amidst the disappointment, amidst the difficulty, I remained under control because of the Holy Spirit working within me. See, Paul's patience really, not only was it amidst struggle, but this is the kind of patience that says, I'm not here to retaliate against the wrong that's done against me. It doesn't retaliate. And then, not only that, it's self-control of temper. In other words, regardless of what happens in my life, and, and we have to ultimately come back to this point, 
Is God in control or is He not in control? Is God sovereign or is He not sovereign? Because I happen to believe that God in His sovereignty can control my life any way and manner that He wants to. Right? So the reality is, if He doesn't want me to go through hardship, I'm not going to go through it. If He has something for me to learn through the hardship, He may allow it. It's God's choice. And He doesn't have to get my permission. He doesn't say, hey, Ken, is this alright if I allow this in your life? God can do whatever He wants. He's God. He's sovereign. He can. He has total freedom and total authority and total power in my life to do whatever He wants. And so Paul was able to say, with all these things that take place in my life, we've responded with patience. There was no retaliation. There was no out-of-control temper. Amidst the struggle, he was letting God be in control. And then he said, not only have you learned from my teaching, my conduct, uh, my purpose, my faith, my patience, but also my love. He had affection and goodwill and benevolence towards those he came in contact with. And he worked with people to show them God's love. And then finally, he said, my endurance. Wow, what an incredible attribute. Endurance. If anybody ever had a reason to quit, to stop doing what he was doing for the cause of Christ, if anybody had a reason to say, hey, I'm over this, I'm done with it, would it not have been Paul? I mean, after all the struggles, after all the frustrations, after all the disappointments, if anybody had a reason to say, I'm, I'm over it, would it not have been Paul? But... Paul's endurance has the idea of constancy. Constancy. He was constant. Why? Because he had something set before him. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's why he's able to say, I have finished the race. I have finished the course that was set before me. He lived to complete the goal of living for Jesus Christ. See, that's why he's able to say in Philippians 1, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There was a steadfastness in the life of Paul. And he was looking at young Timothy and he said, Timothy, you have followed me in these areas. You have followed my teaching. You have followed my conduct. You have followed my purpose. You have followed my faith. You have followed my patience. You have followed my love. You have followed my endurance. Say, wow, if that were not enough, if if we were able to hear that like Timothy was, able to hear that from Paul, We'd say, wow, if you were able to accomplish that much, wow, that'd be awesome. But there's more. He says, along with that, in verse 11, along with persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Now listen, those are just some of the areas that Paul went on his missionary journeys. I believe this is on his first missionary journey. And I believe... Paul was able to say to Timothy, along with persecutions and sufferings, you've observed this, you've seen this, you've witnessed this. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Timothy was from Lystra. And I have to imagine, I'm I'm, I'm speculating here just a little bit, but I would have to imagine that if I were from Lystra and the Apostle Paul was coming to Lystra and maybe I'm still young in my faith, maybe I'm just getting started, but the word was probably getting out that there's somebody being persecuted in Lystra. His name is Paul. Probably the word was out. And I think that's why Timothy could, or Paul could say to Timothy, you've observed this. 
along with all these things that you've followed me in, all these areas that you've learned from me in, along with persecutions and sufferings. So not only had Timothy followed Paul in all those characteristics we see in verse 10, but then Paul adds to this list, along with persecutions and sufferings. You know, this idea behind persecution and sufferings really has four areas of, of relation here. Um, sometimes when we think of persecution, we kind of think of immediately what comes to our minds oftentimes is death. And that's not necessarily what Paul is referring to here. He's not talking about death because obviously he's still talking. He's still writing. He's still teaching. So he's not talking about that general term of death here. He's not, it's not being persecuted to death. What he's really referring to, because it's a general term here in the Greek language, really has four ideas. Number one is misfortune. Paul had dealt with a lot of misfortune. A lot of times at the hands of other people. At the hands of those who were scoffers and unbelievers and false teachers. It has, number two, the idea of calamity, danger. So not only misfortune, not only calamity, but also even evil doing against him. There were, there were often times when people would do evil against him. And then number four, affliction. Affliction. And he said, I endured this everywhere I went. And he just lists three of these areas in which he had endured this. And we see this in verse 11. So as he came into Antioch, Iconium, is Lystra, you know... <laughs> Think of this idea. You're going on a mission trip. Paul's on his missionary journeys and he's trying to establish churches and encourage the churches in these areas. But rather than being joyfully accepted, he's dealing with being persecuted everywhere he's going. Sign me up. Yeah, I think I want to go. Yeah, a little bit of hardship be great. So we'll have a story when we're done. No, no. Paul was not in it for the story. Paul was not in it because of what may have resulted in his own personal life as far as being able to tell everybody what he experienced and went through. He was stoned and shipwrecked and you know left for dead. And No, Paul went through misfortune and calamity and evil doing and, and affliction everywhere he went. But he didn't stop. So Paul not only discipled Timothy in all these areas, but he was also reminding Timothy of a very valuable lesson. And here it is. Verse 11, it says, What persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. Paul was reminding, even teaching, Timothy that God has been and will continue to be faithful to him just as he was for himself. Paul was emphatically telling Timothy of everything that I endured. I mean, think about that. All the calamity, all the affliction, all the evil doing, all the danger that I went through, all this persecution that came at the hands of evil people and those who were not following Christ and those who had no interest in following Christ. He says, what persecutions I endured and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. Timothy, stay the course. God is and will be faithful. You have to know that. Timothy, don't give up. Don't stop. God is 
faithful. He delivered me from them all. He is faithful. He will continue to be faithful. You have to know that, Timothy. God is faithful. But not only that, I want you to remember something, Timothy. Look at the next, next verse, verse 12. It says, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Whoa, aren't those just the most encouraging words you've ever read in God's word? Woo! If I got a desire to live for God, I'm going to suffer persecution. Now let me just remind you, this is not necessarily the persecution that results in death, although it could be. But if you stand up for what's right, if you stand up for what you know is good, you're going to face some dis- disappointment and some calamity and some evil doing, some danger, if you will, at the hands of those who are unbelievers. You'll face calamity, evil doing, affliction. In fact, I started off the message today talking about J. Vernon McGee, and I was reading about this this week. This book that I'm reading about from uh, J. Vernon McGee, um, it's really interesting because this book was published some 30 years ago. And the quote that he mentions inside the book was from even years before that. And so let me just read this two paragraphs that kind of give us an understanding. And let me ask you a question. If that's not today, what I'm reading about, and this was written years and years and years ago. And I quote, I believe that we are beginning to move into a time in this country when it will cost you something to be a Christian. Hmm. Written years and years and years ago. I think if they were to fast forward through the scope of history forward, they probably couldn't have imagined what it would be like today versus what it was when they wrote this. My house has gone exponentially worse. So he says, I believe that we're beginning to move into a time in this country when it will cost you something to be a Christian. Malvin Laird, long before he was Secretary of Defense, made a statement in San Francisco at a Republican convention. I do not know the circumstances which prompted the statement, but he said, in this world, it is becoming more and more unpopular to be a Christian. Soon it may become dangerous. We are seeing the accuracy of this statement. Real Christianity and real Christians are becoming very unpopular. Well, if that was true 30, 40, 50 years ago, I wonder how true it is today even more so. He goes on. I'm not really moved today when the press cries that there is no freedom of press. The bleeding heart press has played that theme for all it's worth. But have they said anything about the fact that real Christianity is stifled by the press? Hmm. Don't we hear that a bit right now in our day and age about fake news? And how often when someone legitimately gives glory to Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father for what He has done, they mute that part conveniently. How often does an athlete say, I thank God for what He's allowed me to do and Jesus Christ is my Savior, but they conveniently mute that part out of the broadcast. Happens every day. And when was the last time you read a sympathetic article on the biblical position? The media stifles news that presents real Christianity. If a fundamental preacher gets any publicity, it will be distorted and misrepresented. Wow, he was writing this about the media 30-some years ago. Of course, if a preacher gets on the wrong side of the law, he'll he'll make the front page. 
But if He saves a group of people from going to hell, He's ignored. Friend, we are moving into an orbit when Christians may have to pay a price to stand for their faith. It's amazing what he wrote and published in this book some 30 years ago, but the quote years before that. See, being a Christian will cost you something, he says. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn back to Matthew chapter 16 just for a moment. I think Jesus Christ reminds us of this very thing. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24, in fact, he says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You said, does Christianity cost something? Yes. It's a commitment. A commitment to a relationship with Jesus Christ. There are going to be always be those around you that don't understand, or will misconstrue, or will stereotype you. But the reality is, it does cost. And he says, if you're going to follow after me, Jesus says, you must deny yourself because it's no longer about you. It's all about Him. It's all about what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's all about the cross of Calvary and living for Him. And He says, let Him deny Himself, take up His cross, and follow. Yeah, it's going to cost something to be a Christian. It is often unpopular to be a Christian. You know, the Christian people, they're just weird or they're just out there. Why? Because we live by the Word of God and it's what, what motivates us and is what, what governs our life as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ. He says it may be dangerous to be a Christian. There are many parts of the world today that if you are openly uh, known as a Christian, you will be persecuted to death. Many parts of the Middle East, many parts of Asia where it is unpopular. It's not cool. It's not even safe at times. My, how we have it so easy here in America. Yes, it is getting worse but we still have the hope of Jesus Christ. Amen? We still have Jesus Christ as our Savior. The press and the media will falsely portray and twist things associated with and connected to Christianity. Yes, they will. Leading us to the next verse. In just a moment, he says there in verse 13, evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. You know, let me just give you a couple of verses to consider. The first one is in John chapter 15. It's a verse I'm sure you've heard before, but John chapter 15. I want to read verses 18 and 20. It says, If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before, the, before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Folks, we have to understand, if we want to live a life that is pleasing to Jesus Christ, persecution is going to be out there. And we may face it. It may be dangerous. But remember, you're in good company. Jesus says, if they hate you, remember they hated me first. If they persecute you, remember they persecuted me first. Uh, turn over to Acts chapter 14. Just a couple of verses I want to highlight here in Acts chapter 14 and verses uh, 21 and 22. He says, After they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, 
to Iconium, and to Antioch. Remember those three, three towns and villages that we just talked about earlier? How he was persecuted in those places? Even though he was going there and preaching the gospel, even though he was turning the hearts of the people towards Jesus, he was being persecuted. Even though there were followers there, he was being persecuted. But look at verse 22. Strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. He said, you're going to experience some hardships. You're going to experience some difficulty. You're going to experience, it's necessary. I don't fully understand that. Because I know that in my life, here in America, I have it so easy. I may not like it that somebody doesn't like what I stand for. I may not like that somebody doesn't agree with what I believe. But I'm just here to tell you this morning, we have it easy. We haven't experienced this like Timothy and Paul who are experiencing this in their day and age. And then one more in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So over a few pages to the right, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 9 and 10. He says this, We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry on the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. See, he's saying here, he goes, we are going through some stuff, but Jesus Christ is glorified through it. And then look at verse 16. I love this verse. Therefore, we do not give up. We do not give up. It says, even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. Wow! We have the Holy Spirit living within us, giving us the power that we need and the strength that we need and the stamina that we need to keep going every day. But you have to know this. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And even though there may be persecution in this life, we know that Jesus Christ is with us, number one. And number two, this life is going to pass. We're living for something else that is going to come one day. Let's jump into the next verse here just for a moment. Verse 13 says, Evil people and impostors will become worse. Deceiving and being deceived. Evil people and impostors will become worse. And really, what he's saying here is we have to expect it. Things don't get better. In fact, I don't know of anything that gets better. I've never had a set of tires on my vehicle that, well, when I got the set of tires... There's a good thick layer of rubber and good thick deep trench in the grooves of the tires. And then after about 15, 20,000 miles, you notice that the, the depth gets less and less and less and less till finally you have to replace the tires at 40, 50,000 miles, maybe a little bit longer. Tires don't get better. They get worse. You ever had a water heater that never needed to be replaced? A roof that never leaked? A kitchen sink faucet that never dripped? You see, I don't know of anything that gets better. He says, false teaching, evil people, it's going to get worse. Expect it. Don't be appalled when you see around us the world who doesn't believe. Don't be appalled and say, wow, I didn't know it was going to be like this. When you see the world around us live in the way that they live, according to the things of this world. For all that is in this world, lust of flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that's what the world lives for. That's not of the Father, it's of the world. And those things are going to pass away as we know God's Word teaches us. And they're going to continue to deceive and be deceived themselves, according to verse 13. 
These evil people and imposters were really false teachers. And they began to permeate and multiply within the ranks of the people that Paul and Timothy were trying to reach. So, we come to this question. Paul had commended Timothy for following in all these areas that were really important. But how should Timothy respond to evil people who are going to become more and more and more in our presence? How should Timothy respond to these imposters, these false teachers? Well, he gives us that answer. Uh, in, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14, it says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You see, oftentimes when teams struggle, a coach will oftentimes make a comment along these lines. Let's get back to the basics. You know, in basketball, you're starting to double dribble. You're starting to do a little bit of traveling. Let's get back to the basics. Let's, you, you're starting to like shoot air balls. Let, let, let's slow down and stop for just a moment. Let's just work on a layup. Let's get that layup down to where you don't miss a layup. Let's, let's stand on the free throw line and just practice. Let's shoot 15, 20 shots in a row, 100 shots, until you get that free throw motion just right. If you're double dribbling, we, we stop and we slow down. Before you can run with the ball, you've got to be able to stand and bounce with the ball. And then we work on speeding up. And then you get a little bit of walking and then a little bit of jogging and then a little bit of running with the ball. And oftentimes when we struggle with principles, we say, let's come back to the basics. What Paul was telling Timothy was, let's come back to the basics. Because in this day that you're living, Timothy, and what you're going to see and what you what I'm telling you to expect more and more of, I just want you to continue in what you have learned and what you have firmly believed. Can I just remind you, brother, sister in Christ, continue in what you know is right. Continue in what you have been taught. Continue in what you know to be true. Continue to practice and apply what you believe. You see, when difficulty comes, that's when we want to run. We want to, we want to say, I, I can't deal with this, or, or this is too hard, it's too difficult. Paul had already commended Timothy saying, hey, you've been through so much. You've seen a much. You, you've observed a bunch. Continue. Don't stop now. In fact, he reminds us in Galatians chapter 6, in due season you'll reap if you faint not. You see, everything that you may experience in this life is just temporary. It's going to pass. And so we want to, we want to keep going towards what we know is right and what we know is true because there's going to be a day when this is all over. Amen? That's what we live for. Continue in what you have learned and what you have firmly believed. And he goes on and qualifies that. You know those who taught you. In verse 15, we know the story of Timothy. And you know that from infancy, from a young baby, from a young child, you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The sacred scriptures. When's the last time you looked at God's word as sacred? Precious. Valuable. Why? Because it's able to give you wisdom, first of all, for salvation. 
through faith in Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you, if you're watching this today and you don't know Jesus Christ, can I turn you to the Word? God's Word is so clear. It's not about going to church initially. It's not about what you may or may not give to the church. It's not about how you may volunteer or serve the church. It all begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. It all begins with saying, I want to know Jesus. And he says, Timothy, you have known the sacred scriptures from your infancy, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation because of God's word. First John 5.13, these things have I written unto you who believe on the name of the Son of God. These things, the Bible, he says, have I written unto you who believe that you may know that you have eternal life. He says, it gives you wisdom to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let me ask you a question. Would Paul be able to say that to you? If the Apostle Paul were standing in your living room, if he was sitting in the recliner across from you in your den, would Paul be able to say to you, you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through Jesus Christ? If you can't say yes, I would love to invite you to know Jesus. I would love to invite you to put your faith and trust in Him. That is by far the most important, greatest decision you could ever make. Can I stop just for a moment and invite you? Say, well, how can I know that? How can I have that certainty? How can I just have that same confidence that Timothy had from Paul looking right at him and saying, you have known the sacred scriptures. I say it often, it's ABC. Admit that you're a sinner. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned. Have you ever sinned? Well, of course the answer is yes. I have, you have, we all have. I admit that I'm a sinner. That's A, admit. B, believe. God loved us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrated his love in this way, that he sent his only son to die on the cross while we're still sinners. Even in our sinfulness, Jesus Christ says, I'm going to die for you. Do you believe that Christ died on the cross for you? That he shed his blood for you? And then let us see Confess and call. Romans 10, 9 says, For with the mouth one confesses, and with the heart one believes. You want to confess Jesus Christ. Confess your sins before him. And then verse 13 says, For whoever would call on the name of Jesus would be saved. Friend, can I invite you to know Jesus? Can I invite you to a relationship with him? A simple prayer. My prayer can't save you. But it's a simple childlike prayer. And maybe you say, oh, I've never prayed that prayer before, but I want to. I trust Jesus. And it says, with a mouth confession is made and with a heart one believes. So if you truly believe, it's just a simple prayer. Maybe you could repeat after me and I'll lead you. My prayer won't save you. But simple prayer, Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross. I put my trust in you, dear Father. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I put my trust in you to be my Savior. A simple childlike faith. A simple prayer. And you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul was telling Timothy, you have known the Scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. But then finally, verses 15 and 16, or 16 and 17, it says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
Isn't that awesome? All Scripture is inspired by God. The very word of, words of Scripture are God-breathed. In other words, it wasn't Joe and Tom and Harry sitting around a campfire one night and saying, hey, I got this book I'm going to write. Now, yeah, what do you think we ought to include in it? No. The Word of God is not just a book written by a bunch of authors who had no common relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, it's just amazing how God put together His Word for you and I. In Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, he says this, Above all, you know this, that no prophecy of Scripture, no Word of God from the prophet, uh, prophet's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they are carried along by the Holy Spirit. Above all, you know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation. Because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God literally wrote through these men who were following and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, not only is it inspired or God-breathed, he says it's profitable. And can I just tell you, the Word of God gives us everything that we need to make it through this life and to live a life that is pleasing to Jesus Christ. He said it is profitable for these four areas, for teaching, for doctrine, in other words, to help us know the truth. Not only that, for rebuking, for correcting, for training. It helps us to know how to live right before God. And when we are starting to take a step in the wrong direction, it rebukes us and corrects us to bring us back onto that right path and trains us and gives us what we need to stay on that right path to please Jesus Christ. You know, the Word of God is important, and I'm, I'm not going to belabor this point, but I want you to understand just how important it is. It teaches us. It rebukes us. It corrects us. It trains us so that we can live a life pleasing to God. But He gives us the exact reason. So that the man of God may be complete, that means mature, so we can mature in our relationship with Jesus Christ and equipped for every good work. You know, Jesus Christ told us in God's Word, or God told us through His Word in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are His workmanship created unto good works. And not only that, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, the Word of God was given us and, and preachers preach it and evangelists teach it and, and missionaries go forth and share it because why? They're equipping us to do the work of the ministry. What is our textbook? What is our training manual? This book. He says, I'm giving you everything that you need so that you can be complete or mature and equipped for every good work. I don't know about you, but the reality is this. God gave us His Word so that we can draw close to Him and know Him. The Word of God equips us. The Word of God is important for our livelihood. It's important so that we can be like Christ. And Paul, in conclusion, he was commending Timothy for applying these things, not only in teaching, but in his very life. And if I could encourage you to do the same thing, and what I'm trying to do in my own life is to make sure that the Word of God is what guides me and directs me in all these areas. I don't know about you, but I need this encouragement. I need this Word of God to guide me, to direct me. I need its reminders daily. 
I don't know about you, but my flesh is so stinking strong sometimes. I want to do what I want to do whenever I want to do it. As often as I want to do it. For as long as I want to do it. Because that's what flesh does. And when we feed the flesh, it dominates. But that shouldn't be so in the child of Christ. We're controlled by the Holy Spirit that indwells us, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. And verse 20, we belong to Jesus Christ, so therefore we're we should be submissive to Him. Let me ask you a question. Are you in the Word? Are you longing to equip you to be what you need to be, to do what you need to do before the Lord Jesus Christ? I pray that your answer is yes. Get in God's Word. Let it rule your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your, your word that we can have it. We can read it. We can apply it, study it, live it. We don't have to guess or wonder what would bring glory to you, but you tell us in your word and you give us the ability to learn from it, to te be taught from it. God, might we be submersed into it. May it guide us, direct us in all areas, Lord. May we learn from what Paul was teaching Timothy and apply it to our own hearts and our own lives so that we can become more like you. And God, I pray, Lord, that if there be one who is watching today, Lord, that does not know you as their Savior, might today be the day of salvation for them. Might we know that your word of God has impacted another life. And we'll praise you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today, and I hope that it's been an encouragement to you. And uh, as I say each and every week, what an opportunity we have to worship together. Thank you, Nick and Becca, Ian, Maddie, for singing, for praising Jesus and leading us in worship, for being real before us. Thank you for leading us in that area. So we have the opportunity to worship together and I encourage you to go back and look at some of the previous videos that we've posted this week. Hans has been posting a video on Thursdays directed towards us as men, really to everyone, but especially us as men and living for the Lord and being challenged to live for the Lord. So we were able to worship through the word, we worship through the music, and we can also worship through our giving as we remind you each and every week. Thank you for your faithfulness in that area. You know, you can go onto our church website, you can go onto Easy Tithe app, you can send checks to the church, you can go to your online banking of your own bank. But thank you for being so faithful in that area. God has been so good in taking care of our needs, but continue to do that and worship together in all these areas. And uh, rejoice that God is on the throne, that God is still in control. He's involved in all these circumstances of our life. And let's just continue to praise him and worship him together. Have a wonderful, awesome afternoon, and we'll catch you later.